0: And welcome back to the Annotating Arts Education podcast. I'm Gigi, your podcast host, coming to you from the year 2045. For today's episode, I have the pleasure of being joined by Rigoberta, a highly experienced, now retired educator and curator in contemporary arts, and Chief Chief, the last Dean of the former Lucas School of Arts in Belgium. Both took part in the Footnotes Conference on Annotating Futures of Arts Education, where our conversation took place and were part of the working group Plasticity. In our conversation, I will discuss with Rigoberta and Chief Chief the role of informal knowledge in arts education today in 2045, the current roles of artists in society, and how the trend of universal basic income Influences developments in arts education and the arts in general. So let's jump right into the conversation. Hello, and welcome back to the Footnotes podcast with myself, Gigi. Today in the studio, I'm joined by none other than Chief Chief and Rigoberta. Hello, Chief Chief and Rigoberta. I hope you are both doing well today. Could you please firstly introduce yourselves to our listeners?
1: Hello, Gigi and all the listeners. It's such a great opportunity to be here and uh, share our thoughts and our some impressions from our ongoing process around plasticity. Um, yeah, um, I'm actually recently retired. I used to work um, for quite many years, decades, I would say, uh, as an educator in a contemporary art field. I used to work both in... Um, formal institutions, art academies, but um, like my kind of other foot has been always set in a, in a self-organized practices. So being this, uh, having this kind of dual... Um, Uh, experiences has been always quite important to me, but uh, now I really feel that I need to slow down, I need more time to to digest ideas and uh, I generally feel that the world is going a bit too quickly for Mm -hmm. my taste, so I'm using my age now to finally act properly or accordingly.
2: So, hey, all uh, listeners. Uh, thanks so much for having us here. Uh, so, my name is Jiv Jiv. Uh, I'm situated in Ghent, Belgium. Uh, I'm currently the rector of uh, Lucas School of Arts, which is a bit weird because I'm actually quite young. You can't see it uh, as a listener. I'm 34 years old. Um But um, my job is also to make myself the last rector of uh, Lucas School of Arts. Uh, my job is to uh, sort of dismantle the institution and to transition it to like a new uh, organization. Um, the reason I got here is that ever since I was a student in the 30s, I've been fascinated by educational innovation and uh, ha- had a sort of activist approach in this also. I like to call myself an educational de engineer. engineer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds fancy, doesn't it? Uh, but in fact, I'm also uh, just like a, a, a punk rocker maybe uh, and a bit of a naive optimist that's sort of like described describes chief chief
0: wonderful thank you rigoberta and chief chief i've seen that you've been part of the plasticity working group during the footnotes conference this week could you please tell us a little bit more about this theme of plasticity and how the working group experience has been for you It's actually been
1: quite overwhelming for me at least because uh, those days have been so intense and uh, we had uh, quite many exercises, uh, so a bit it makes my head spin. (laughs) But the group has been great and I think the thoughts that we are going to address later on are actually from our collective brain because after two days uh, of intensive discussions, uh, I can't really separate my own ideas from the from from our collective brain basically but uh, plasticity like I think it's really the key word not only in uh, in our current times but it already started to show like 20-30 years ago when we need to adapt to different uh, rapid changes uh, in, uh, in a global Scale and in a uh, planetary wise, but uh, we are trying to um, make sense of this word uh, really hard, and in the context of uh, informal knowledge and education.
2: Yeah, exactly. We, we've been this. Uh, we've had long discussions on what this plasticity actually means. We've met each other. I think it was five years ago in 2040 mm. uh, because of this shared interest in, in this notion of plasticity. And uh, um, yeah, well, st- still, we don't have like a clear idea, but also we embrace the fact that it it shouldn't really be clear. That's also what we've learned about what knowledge and informal knowledge, uh, what shapes it can take. And that it, it knowledge is also like a mobile uh, entity that can change over time. So knowledge is also fluid in a way. Uh, but I think I'm dig- digressing. No,
1: no, no, no. I just wanted to add that uh, we are trying to not really box ourselves with uh, with uh, you know trying to deliver some kind of uh, concrete product or some kind of concrete definition, but really to embody the plasticity as a as a working method in our group as well. And uh, humanly, it makes it, of course. Uh, very hard <laughs> because as humans we drive still for certainty and we, we drive towards the you know definitions and boxes with neat labels etc but uh, I think it's been really all these five years when we kind of uh, kept touch to each other and uh, really finding this uh, peer group to, to also embody the, those words not just to you know theorize about them
2: yeah, it's even surprising that, like, this older concept from the the, the 20s, like, the, this binary way of thinking, sometimes still invades our discussions. Totally. But, and it's, like, two centuries ago and, and still... Ancient, th- huh? Yeah. 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 yeah, it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was a kid at that time.
1: Yeah, and it's, you are still like uh, probably relapsing to those binary and uh, mm-hmm. like dualities. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it's so Western philosophy based as well, you know, like it's so heavily centered there. But uh, it seems it forms our cultural DNA, but uh, and working against it, it's uh, I would again emphasize it is a hard personal battle. But we are here to, to kind of do it in
2: a concentrated way. Mm -hmm. Possibly it's also hard because we grew up in in this world where duality was still like a big thing. Okay, I think in the 20s, like this idea of... uh, uh, spectral, spectral ways of looking at mm. for instance the, the, like this gender spectrum was a big thing then I remember um, um, when I was a kid it was like a hot topic on television like every television show whatever uh, but so th- I, I think when kids grew up now the spectral way of thinking is like uh, natural now so I, I, I have this optimist view that um, it, it will become a natural way of thinking for the next generations
1: Mhm, because definitely one thing that we have witnessed, and throughout my career, which started in a quite. Uh let's say old fashioned way back in in 2000s actually so it was a really lifetime ago when I started teaching first Uh, what I've seen and witnessed and uh, I'm really glad you have witnessed this is that uh, how hierarchies between formal and non-formal knowledge are not so rigid anymore as they were and uh, this is again ongoing process but uh, it's not the same in all spheres in society of course but I think uh, arts and humanities and uh, very many disciplines are um, yeah, we've seen this massive race of uh, informal educational platforms next to old institutions so we really have this 300 year old Ecole the bozar uh, t- type of thing, but at the same time the, the landscape is uh, populated uh, like uh, all those uh, um, it's hard even to describe them because they formats and uh, the formats basically are what is needed in this specific context, so it's hard to generalize even what they are, but uh, let's say the, the kind of like umbrella term is, uh, is uh, informal educational platforms, yeah. so seeing the, the massive rise uh, of those mushrooms <laughs> and mushrooming is like, it's been great actually.
0: Indeed. And and would you say that the role of informal knowledge in education today is a a dominant way of learning?
1: Uh, I think if we look at the life spectrum of an individual, then I would say yes, because uh, now the learning trajectories are so uh, individual and they are composed of many different kind of formats. And uh, uh, when I was young, I read this concept of, uh, you know, DIY education that introduced like how you have some university degree, but then uh, on the top of that, you build your own uh, your own uh, educational path uh, you know online lectures etc cetera, etc cetera. so then it was like uh, some kind of like rebellious idea of uh, of education this DIY education but now it's uh, it's normalized completely and uh, one other thing I'm glad to see is also that uh, the kind of prestige of this uh, um, uh, kind of DIY approach uh, hands-on approach proactive approach to your own educational trajectories uh, it's uh, considered valuable and uh, and all those um, Uh, I think what has been interesting and important is that all those uh, small, uh, non-formal educational platforms they are taken seriously now Mm -hmm. because uh, when I was uh, younger and uh, when I was still teaching mostly in in university, but I was also involved with self-organizing, it was always the problem of of, uh, um, prestige in a way that, uh, yeah, it's so nice you're doing your reading group somewhere in a basement or like uh, uh, reading theory in kitchen tape oh how lovely but uh, you know real things are happening uh, inside the walls of universities but uh, now I see the uh, yeah not only the there are more options to do that but also it's it's taken seriously from uh, all sides of society politicians um, business culture has changed a lot more inclusive yeah
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I see it also happening in in, uh, my institution, Luca School of Arts, uh, where finally we have the chance to like uh, transform into like a new way of organizing. Um, But it's, uh, um, yeah, it's a bit weird that it took so long for Luca to uh, decide to to go for it uh, because it was apparent already when I was studying more than 10 years ago that this change was full on, and and that uh, like the super institutional ways of organizing art education uh, were no longer really relevant anymore. Um, so um, yeah, now my job is to to think about how, how can we combine this uh, the institutional f- uh, uh, force that we still have, maybe with with more non institutional. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, semi-improvised sometimes ways of art schooling that is popping up everywhere um, and how can we uh, combine these in, into something stronger and there's a lot of examples of uh, art institutions that have made the transformation already in very successful ways um, transforming their school more into like a, um, a hub where uh, people get together um, like uh, Uh, creating the network but also uh, coaching uh, creatives and artists in their uh, lifelong non-linear learning paths. Um, um, Yeah, uh, very inspirational to me is like art schools that started uh, um, creating grant programs that give grants to like uh, short-lived five-year pop-up art school uh, initiatives uh that that can pop up from within the school like students collaborate with uh, lecturers or maybe with a scientist friend uh, or with an outside designer so they really um, yeah that that really diversified the landscape so much and even a lot of uh, not a lot but quite often some of these uh, smaller initiatives um, become like commercial spin-offs and, mm. and have like longer lift uh, uh, future, so mm-hmm. it's really f- fascinating. What's what's the world that we're the in potentials, now?
0: Potentials, yeah. yeah. I want to tap into you. You just mentioned kind of lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. Does that have a relationship with this kind of in in knowledge ways of educating and informing education?
1: I think this is it actually, because uh, you know the term lifelong learning. Um, I I remember how they implemented this, and it was part of the. Kind of uh, top-down policymakers that—that uh, was at some point, uh, you know, with um, in uh, in uh, 2000s and uh, even 90s, yeah, we used to have this uh, paradigm called uh, neoliberalism, and which delegated uh, responsibility from state to individual, and uh, and lifelong learning was actually, I would say. Uh, one tool in this mm-hmm. in this package actually that uh, you uh, delegate the responsibility to be up for a job market, ever changing job market yourself, and you have to. It, it was kind of like served as a positive thing, but uh, I was always very um, skeptical about it, and uh, and I saw some um, non-addressed uh, uh, threats there uh, mm-hmm. in this rhetoric So, but uh, what is uh, you know life is full of surprises. So I think what we are doing now is the actual lifelong learning but without calling it one it's uh, it's not uh, some kind of implemented uh uh, implemented a tool uh, uh, how to force people to uh, actually worry about their <laughs> jobs all the time and uh, are they keeping up and uh, and the basics pace is accelerating as I said before so uh, I think it kind of like uh, naturalized uh, uh, or or went into more organic way because I think it's also very human to want to know more and want to have new knowledge etc but uh, uh, I think how we are doing it now through all those different educational platforms is actually kind of reversing this uh, this uh, this policy and uh, making it more uh, political, but uh, like a kind of like
0: almost counter political statement. Mm. Something that's not enforced. Yeah. But actually, more of an option if it if it suits your lifestyle or your interests. Yeah. Yeah exactly
1: and uh, what made uh, what made it possible also to have this kind of uh, more liberated view towards lifelong learning is uh, uh, are all those uh, universal basic uh, income experiments that we see Uh happening in a a different countries and uh, that's also been super interesting to to follow because uh, this uh, system uh, has been debated again uh, uh, quite many decades now but uh, um, I'm glad that I'm I lived long enough to see actually uh, implemented in in some countries. And uh, I think this is uh, this idea that you um, that you have this possibility not to uh, work yourself uh, to the death, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, but really to take some portion of your time is paid for um, by by. government then uh, i think it frees up the exactly this possibility to pursue all those informal and formal and uh, all those i can't even say what kind of formats of uh, of education nowadays
0: yeah and i'm interested to know what you consider the role of the artist in society today Chief Chief, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <MTA>. <laughs> do you have an answer to that?
2: <laughs> That's like a super uh, a hard question to uh, answer. Um, I think there, the, there's a lot more diversity in thinking these days than um, back in the, in the 30s when I was uh, still studying. Uh, um, yeah, because. It also, because you have all these different uh, s- schools, uh, smaller initiatives popping up, um, they each have their own ways of thinking about uh, the position of arts uh, and design um, in society. Sometimes you see schools popping up that are, are like really embedded in local communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, others are like more uh, almost hermetic, uh, experimental spaces. Uh, And I I think that diversity is is really good. There's, yeah.
1: um. Yeah, the one thing we've been actually discussing in our group is uh, in in relation to that uh, artist in society and what you mentioned, those uh, like almost schools without walls and uh, and art being uh, more present in everyday life, not only in galleries, how it used to be, etc. Of course, there's been always a kind of community art projects uh, around since uh, 19 I don't know 60s or 70s so almost a century ago but uh Uh, but uh, one uh, one initiative that again is quite interesting um, uh, to follow I think is uh, how uh, some countries have uh, started to experiment with uh, hiring the artist into public sector uh, offices Mm -hmm. like um, and this idea I remember uh, from 2020 it was uh, I discussed it with uh, one artist uh, Flo Kasearu from Estonia and um, back then she had this idea that uh, like it should be a kind of um, a rule that uh, if a public sector hires another uh, uh, official, then they should hire like for, I don't know, five officials they should also hire one artist okay. and, uh, and now it's uh, like um, those ideas have been spreading and uh, uh, now it's quite normal to see how there is an artist in position in, in most of the Most of the companies actually, because the private sector followed the lead and they are also experimenting uh, how art is not only, you know, I don't know, designers' poster or something or let's do a drawing workshop, but really artist as someone who tackles like uh, wicked problems, who is used with uh, ambiguity, who is used with not knowing. And uh, our mid-century life here, it's... uh, those are all issues that uh, we all have to face so I think artist's toolbox of uh, staying in not knowing phase and still being active in that phase and not getting paralyzed by that phase is like uh, something that um, uh, quite many um, offices and uh, and positions uh, can learn from so that's, this is something that I would like to see it actually spreading a bit a bit uh, more that uh, uh, why why don't we have artists in in every uh, every company? Yeah, mm-hmm. well,
2: like in Holland, they have a they have a prime minister now who's an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, so it's al- already like uh, leaking into politics also. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's an interesting evolution. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And not to like instrumentalize artists, but let them be exactly who they are. It's not like commissioning their I know public art piece or something, but really like leaving it open, what do they do there? Like it would be job without job description in a way, being an artist.
0: Indeed, and I think that is the important thing not to instrumentalize. Yeah. But also ancient to track this trajectory and, and see where it may go in the future and how it may expand to different fields and and sectors. My final question for you today then, and perhaps this links to what we were just discussing, is for you to choose one influential trend in society, the economy, or the arts today, and just explain very shortly how you feel this developed from 2020 until where we are now, 2045.
2: Yeah, I think universal basic income Mm -hmm. changed a lot. Uh, Yeah, not only... for m- mental health uh, in general, but also for yeah, uh, art education and yeah. and um, yeah, uh, th- this lifelong learning that we just yeah. talked about. Uh, yeah, m- people just got more uh, financial freedom, but also more freedom in the mind, space in the mind to okay. to take on uh, yeah more explorative ways of education and. and
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one interesting issue was that uh, you know when they were discussing this uh, UBI in in two uh, thousands, basically they uh, they were so worried that giving people this let's say like a small amount of income without having to work makes people idle and mm-hmm. kind of like encourages idleness. Like, that would be a bad thing. That, that always, I, I remember as a, as a young professional, it always blew my mind because, like, uh, uh, already back then it was quite obvious that... Uh, that uh, all this gig economy and uh, uh, not having a single employer and hustling uh, between jobs and really precarious situation this this precarious uh, workers army that is like uh, you know rising in in uh, uh, most countries globally um, yeah ubi can s- solve so many issues elegantly and at the same time I think address our fear that without work we would uh, do some bad things or I don't know waste ourselves or Mm -hmm. something like that like I like to believe and I think Chief Chief as well that it actually liberates us Mm -hmm. to having a little bit of uh, security um, in order to pursue your interests and uh, but we are of course also the educational uh, uh, like almost uh, religiously devoted to Mm -hmm. (laughs) finding out what is is good for humans in that sense yeah but uh, UBI would be yeah most of my
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. Yeah, Um, And that's a wonderful way to kind of tap into all your other answers today too. Chief Chief Rigoberta, it's been a total pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your thoughts, your expertise with the podcast.
1: Thank you, Gigi. Thank you,
0: Gigi. Thank you for listening to the Annotating Arts Education podcast. Join us next time to further explore alternative forms of arts education and to see what other time zone spaces we might just tap into. Until then, it's goodbye from me, Gigi, in 2045. Take care.